0: you're listening to kitchen table finance join dave shotwell and nick nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical
1: hey dave how you doing today not bad nick how are you fantastic happy saint patrick's day you got your green on today dave
0: uh you know uh, Sure. Yep. <laughs> for the, for the purpose of our, uh, not very visual podcast. Yes, I do. I love it. <laughs> all, all the, uh, all the Irish ancestors I have told me that I had to, which is no one.
1: There you go. Nothing like, uh, St. Patrick's day and, uh, NCAA basketball, right? Right. Two of your favorite things. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Anyways,
1: a lot going on in the last week, Dave. And yeah, so this is so, kind of an emergency podcastish <laughs> for
0: us. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of bumped some of our uh, regularly scheduled programming, as the networks would say. All right. and and it's funny. So I mean, funny, funny, not haha, funny. But uh, you know, we were we were talking uh, earlier this week that hey, we finally have something to talk about other than inflation and interest rates, right? <laughs> yeah. Careful sure what you wish for. Is that how the saying <laughs> <Yeah>. goes? <laughs> yep, yep. So, so here we are to talk about the banking sector and what's going on, right?
1: Yeah. So, big news that I'm sure most of our listeners have probably heard because it's been everywhere, and that is for the first time since probably 2008 we've had a good old fashioned bank run, right? So, I, I always I always want to call it Saginaw Valley, but it's really Silicon <laughs> Valley
0: Bank. Yes. Silicon Valley bank out in California and you know, we won't spend a lot of time talking about the details because like you said, it's, it's everywhere right now and there's a lot smarter people than us out there, you know, with their fingers on it, telling, telling everybody what went on. But in a nutshell, you know, this bank, these two, these banks that specialized in lending to the tech sector took in all kinds of money when companies were booming and invested that money in treasury bonds. And then when interest rates went up and those tech companies, businesses slowed down because the tech sector is very sensitive to interest rates, they were turning around and pulling their deposits out. And that put those banks in a position where they had to raise money from their investment portfolio. And those investments weren't worth as much as they should have been because of interest rates going up
1: kind of a double whammy, right? Like yeah. the, the interest rate with risk was on both, not only on their investments, but also on their, their heavy concentration
0: of customers. Right. And so, you know, just f- in brief, you know, when banks invest depositors money, and of course they never have as much money on hand in the vault of the bank as they have deposits, you know, on their books, they are required to invest in very safe investments. Mm -hmm. And they buy treasury bonds, mostly, which if you hold the treasury bond to maturity, you get all your money back plus your interest. But if you have to sell that bond before maturity, if interest rates have gone up since you bought it, you're not going to get face value for it. You're not going to get what you paid for it. And obviously, you know, in this environment, we had a very steep increase in interest rates over the last 12 months. And treasury bonds, although they're very safe, if you hold them for their full term, you know, they might have been getting what, 85 cents on the dollar for some of those. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's not good. And when their depositors found out that they were selling these assets at a loss, it just sped up the amount of money people wanted to withdraw
1: kind of a, a snowball effect, if you mm-hmm. will, of, and, and part of the, the biggest reason for that is a lot of those deposits and the reason why people were pulling them is because they were over the FDIC's insurance limit. So right. they were subject to, if the bank fails, then I lose anything above 250000 that I have with the bank. And that right. obviously sparked fear and panic right. and people and started moving money.
0: A lot of their clients weren't, it wasn't like your typical community bank where it's, you know, you and your parents and your friends all with their savings accounts and checking accounts. A lot of these, their customers were hu- not huge, but were startup tech companies with lots of money in one account, you know, maybe mm-hmm. millions of dollars because they were running their payroll through there. And so they were way, a lot of their customers were way over the, the FDIC limit and had a lot more risk than maybe your everyday Bank client would tend to
1: have. Yeah. And, you know, another thing that I thought was really interesting, kind of nerding out on this a little bit, but. In the old days, when you had a bank run, there was lines around the door, mm-hmm. and you stood in line to get your money out. Right. Right. Nowadays, now, everybody banks from home in their pajamas. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, and you can move you can move millions of dollars from one savings account at one bank to another with a couple clicks of a mouse. Right. Exactly. Uh, and that that speeds things up. And the other thing that makes this different than like the 1930s or even 2008 2009 is that these particular companies, like venture capital CFOs and, and, and their, you know, startup clients, they all talk to each other. They're all very Mm -hmm. plugged into the same social networks. And so one of them sees something they question with the bank, like, Hey, did you see our, you know, I know you bank, it's Silicon. I almost said Saginaw too. (laughs) You, you, um, you bank is Silicon Valley as well. Did you, um, did you see that they just had to sell their treasury bonds at a loss? Is our bank in trouble? And then that, Person, you know, in turn goes and looks mm-hmm. and, and says the same thing to five of their friends. And that wouldn't necessarily have happened 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, um, especially
1: at the speed, right? Like that's right, a group text right. all of a sudden or a
0: right. Slack message or whatever yeah. it is. And, and within a matter of minutes, everybody's on their mobile app moving their money out of the bank. Yeah. And that just, it just becomes a, a spiral of, of conf- a lack of confidence. A couple things coming
1: out of that that makes things interesting as far as like what's next. I think the big question for people is, are there going to be more banks that fail? And that's kind of what has played out this week a little bit. So we've seen a couple banks with similar profiles that have similar issues. And Mm -hmm. there was actually an announcement yesterday that one of them is going to actually get a quote unquote infusion of cash from other banks, which is yes. an interesting development too, where they're basically just going to deposit money at those they're banks. Yeah, they're going to take,
0: yes, to shore that bank up. And really, you know, why would they do that? To, to you know, bank crises are a crisis, are as much a psychological phenomenon as a financial phenomenon. Yeah. And, you know, I, I always think of um, FDR's inaugural speech, you know, in the middle of the of the great depression when he said we have nothing to fear but fear itself mm-hmm. and you know it, it he wasn't he, what he was getting at is if we can get to a point where we're no longer afraid banks are going to fail banks won't fail right yeah <laughs> you know if we could if we can restore confidence in the system the system will survive and the same thing played out in 2008 and 2009 if we if we all just sit and take a breath and say hey you know, my bank is fine and my assets are covered by FDIC insurance. And, you know, if I just, you know, think rationally about this, there's not a problem. There won't be a problem.
1: Yeah. Well, and this goes back to your point about, they don't, when you put a deposit at a bank, they don't just put it in a vault. If they did, they would charge you money. Instead, they're paying you interest, right? Right. (laughs) They can't pay you interest and just set your money aside in a vault somewhere. Right. And so the banking system doesn't work where they'll never have all the deposits on hand that they, that, uh, th- that is available, you know, at
0: the bank. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a, a trust. And so right. th- just the point of, think of Jimmy Stewart and it's a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, exactly, It's not in the vault. It's in your house and <laughs> his house and her house. You know?
1: <laughs> exactly. So, but from the other bank's perspective of why they would step in there, it's, it's, you know, a couple things, but one is obviously restoring faith in you know, if that bank doesn't fail, there's and the failure stops, and less people are concerned, and so it mm-hmm. eventually benefits them, right? Right. And then the other side of it is, the banks are essentially, and one of the things that we have we haven't talked about yet is, the FDIC and the government actually came in and insured all of the deposits mm-hmm. at SVB above the FDIC insurance limit. Yeah.
0: So. Okay. Yeah. They
1: use something called a systemic risk exception, which is basically, we don't want this spiraling out of just this one regional bank into the banking sector. Mm. And, and and it didn't cost you and I any money per se. It was basically, it, it's an insurance fund that all the banks pay into. So these other banks were either going to pay more into the insurance fund if more banks fa- failed, or they were going to find a way can. to
0: shore up confidence. Yes. Yeah. And and look like the good guys at the same time. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, what, you know, it's kind of like, kind of like, well, what, you know, what tells people you, you can afford to do something Well, I'm going to lend some of my money to my buddy here who, who needs it, you know, it kind of is a message to their depositors that, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're cash rich, we're cash rich. We're not worried about this.
1: Yeah, we're I mean, in, in banking and, and, you know, the same could be said about insurance, wherever there's trust involved. And it's not like not just trust in one company, but trust in a system. They all kind of at some point have to work together.
0: Right? Yeah, right.
1: Um, because it's, once you stop believing in one bank, you stop believing in all of them. And that's right. what causes bigger systemic issues. So, I want to kind of go back to something we touched on about 2008 and talk a little bit, Dave, about how this is different from 2008.
0: Yes. Yeah. You had some good points on that. The one,
1: the one of the big differences is in 2008, it wasn't, it was the problem was subprime mortgages. Um, And the problem from the banking sector and why it spread rapidly throughout the banking sector was. Subprime mortgages were very, it was very hard to find out who had them and to what degree. And it was also impossible to decipher what they were worth, right? Nobody knew. And so that caused this ripple effect of fear of we don't know how bad this is or how far spread it is. Mm -hmm. The difference with what's happening today is it because it's the investments that are under question are. Treasuries, in longer term treasuries. And, and, yeah. treasuries. and yeah. we know exactly who owns treasuries and we know exactly what they're worth because it's just mm-hmm. a math problem of, hey, if you sold this today, it would be worth this amount.
0: But if you hold it, right. you know, a certain period of time, it'll be worth this amount.
1: So it, it's not, uh, and, and it's it's interesting because some of the fallout that we've seen in Europe is more about all of a sudden what happened with SVB is now we're looking at all banks very, you know, with a magnifying glass, right? Like who's Mm -hmm. the next one, who else is in trouble? And so basically, you know, the cat's out of the bag that there could potentially be issues. And so now everybody takes a hard look, investors, the government, Mm -hmm. into these financial institutions to figure out who's in trouble. That's a good thing in terms of especially knowing what the trouble is, because we can identify those things and make sure that we have a plan in place where in 2008, we couldn't do that because we didn't know exactly. I mean, most people didn't even know what they were looking for, let alone what right. it was worth. Right, right. So that's I think that's a big difference in 2008. And then um, another difference is it was just kind of where the system starts, right? So banks are yeah. capitalized a lot better to absorb those losses, while right. protecting deposits than they were in two thousand and eight.
0: Yeah, coming out of the coming out of two thousand eight two thousand nine, when the government had to intervene so heavily with the banks, kind of the, the quid pro quo was that these banks that were deemed too big to fail would have to meet higher regulatory standards going forward.
1: We don't see it as a problem that will overwhelm the system, right? These are right. we call them mark to market losses, which is essentially it's not a loss until you have to actually go and sell it. Yeah, and so a lot of this probably most banks won't get into a situation where they have to actually sell some of these treasuries. And so that will, you know, eventually, as those get closer to maturity, they will be worth more than, you know, worth closer to what they were originally bought at. and Those losses will go away the closer we get to the maturity of these securities.
0: Yes. And then building on that, coming out of 2008, the Fed created a system at that point you know to shore up banks that needed it lending facilities and so those are still in place and so if this does become a bigger issue government intervention won't be they won't be figuring it out on the fly they were the way they were in 2008 2009 and just hoping it worked instead so they kind of have a template yeah, we learned a lot of lessons
1: from 2008, and fortunately, some of those things we can at- enact and enact quickly. and And one of the biggest ones that we saw with um, some of these banks and was basically they set up a lending facility to support those banks um, so that they didn't have to sell their treasuries; they could just borrow from. The government at a mm-hmm. basically a zero percent interest, as opposed to selling a treasury yeah. at a loss.
0: Yeah, essentially, that's like the treasuries or the Fed is buying that treasury bond at face value, and they'll earn the interest on it. But the bank doesn't have to realize the loss on, on selling, right? In, in a the nutshell. full amount, yeah. 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 Now, yeah. as opposed to having to wait ten years to right. sell it, for right? The, the government will just hold it till it matures at face value and it will be whole,
1: yeah. So, um, another thing that I wanted to touch on too is this, this <laughs> it is a rough time right now to be Jerome Powell, uh, leader <laughs> of the Fed, right? He's got right. some serious decisions to make and he doesn't have a whole lot of
0: time yeah. to make them. Darned if he does, darned if he doesn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's basically got, you know, next week is when the Fed is supposed to announce their next interest rate yeah. hike. And before the whole banking thing, the thought was a half a point, maybe a quarter of a point increase because their main goal is still to keep inflation in check and they're not happy Mm -hmm. with the progress that they're seeing
0: enough to stop raising interest rates. Right, right. And, uh, you know, (laughs) so I kind of, you you bring that up about, you know, not wanting Jerome Powell's job. I kind of chuckle that it's like, you know, because, you know, we get the question from clients all the time, what should we do with our portfolio because of XYZ going on, right? right? And, and we're always like, well, you know, we stay the course, we have to, you know, think long-term, blah, 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 Well, you know, the, the, there's no more transparency, like, like Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve Governors are just basically having to react to data as it comes in. Yeah. There's no, you know, it's the same situation. They can't really predict what that data is going to be until they have it. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, It'll be interesting to see how this affects inflation numbers and that, you know, because these things are all interrelated, does a hiccup in the banking sector cause behaviors to change that then bring inflation down, you know, more quickly and maybe allow the Fed to take their interest rates in a different direction? It'll be interesting to see.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, not only do they have to worry about interest rates as in, and inflation as their kind of number one concern, but concern mm-hmm. number two of the Fed is always, you know, making sure there's a healthy banking system. Yeah. And so those are kind of competing ideas right now. And so you have to walk the fine line between what we said about inflation is true and what's still we're still serious about it, but also we don't want to further hamper the banking right. sector and can you do both of
0: those things at the same time yeah. and how do you do both of those things yeah. at the same time it'll be it'll be an interesting thing to observe how they're going to thread this needle you know i you're you're right i don't want his job <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, so uh, you know and, and and a lot of things that they've done have actually you know this is the end result is kind of it, we're moving towards the end result what they want of what the Fed wanted, which is to slow down the economy, right? And so, yeah. as a banker, if I run a bank right now, I'm thinking twice <laughs> about what kind of loans that I make, right? right. Because I don't want to make a longer term loan or a riskier loan, knowing that I might have to turn around and Redeem. get deposits out yeah. or you know basically get redemptions available. So I, I need yeah. safer, shorter term investments right now in case people yeah. want their money back.
0: So riskier loans are are going to pay a higher even higher interest rate now. Yeah, or and you'll see them doing less funded. of them, right? And so That's, then yeah. that in
1: turn slows down the economy. I can't go out and get my home improvement loan or my unsecured yeah. loan or my business loan or whatever it is, and so then the economy kind of slows down, which is the end result that they kind of hope for when increasing interest right. rates, but right. probably not this fast and at this pace. It's probably not, I don't <laughs> right. think it was their goal to put banks and make banks yeah, fail. Yeah, <laughs>
0: right. No, that was definitely not their goal. So. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see how how that plays out. So what what does all of this mean for everyday investors, you know, middle America?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the big question. And that's, you know, it's
0: nice to know the
1: information of what happened and why it happened and what it may or may not mean. But at the end of the day, it really should be about what should you do as an investor and how should you handle this and how should you adjust your Mm -hmm. plan accordingly.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so, so for clients, we get the questions like, what, what does this mean for our portfolios? Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, SVBs, failure and signature bank, you know, those alone are, are kind of a non-event because they're very tiny, tiny, tiny fractions of the, uh, of the stock indices that we invest in. You know, we're investing in some 4,000 companies across the board and they're not even, you know, they're... I think Mario had calculated it out like four hundredths of a percent, yeah. Four yeah. percent well, of the index, so not even of the whole portfolio, just right, that particular right. index. So so that's not, you know, their failures are in, in and of themselves are not a big deal. We're obviously dealing with tons of volatility in the stock market. We've been up one day, down the next, uh, more down than up, obviously, in the last mm-hmm. couple of days as the market tries to digest these things. My gut reaction is that it won't take long before the volatility, yeah, till t- we're focused back again on interest rates and inflation instead of the banking sector per se, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's one of those things, and we've said it a lot of times on this podcast, we
0: can't control or predict what is going to happen yeah. in the short term. Nobody oh, was so. talking about banks two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. I mean, hey, any, any of the top, portfolio, you know, maybe there was some hedge, hedge fund manager in some basement somewhere who might have had an inkling. It, it was not on anybody's radar from a portfolio management standpoint.
1: Other than what I've heard from the CEOs of these banks that were in upper management that were selling their shares. Yeah. Well, ago, <laughs> that's that's
0: yeah. <laughs> in, insider trading is a whole different uh, ball of wax and uh, <laughs> may, uh, may the gavel fall heavily on their heads if that was the case. Yeah. But, but, uh, but um, you know, and it, 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 but you're right. It just kind of outlines like how hard it is on a day to day, week to week basis to predict what the storyline's going to be and how the market's going to react to that. But you know, our 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 mantra, um, whether it's the portfolios we manage or just when we're talking to anybody out there who's an everyday investor, you've got to think long term. You've got to think diversified, and you can't let this kind of stuff get to you, because in the longer run, it won't matter.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I liked, especially right now, and we're going through um, client reviews with all of our clients, and and the one slide that we're talking about with everybody is, and I'll put it, we'll put it, make sure to put it in the show notes and link to it, and we've talked about it before in our market um, update podcast, but basically. If you wanted to cherry pick one of the worst times to start being an investor Mm -hmm. pre-financial crisis, Mm -hmm. you invest 2007 at the peak and then immediately in 100% equity portfolio lose about 50% Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, hold on to that throughout Uh, that portfolio is sitting up about 240% since that time, even with those losses, even with what's happened this year and last year a yeah. COVID pandemic. I mean, we're talking about two things that the market has never really seen or it's mm-hmm. been a long time and yet yeah. we're still sitting, uh, the long-term picture looks great. I think anybody would go yeah. back and take yeah. that for the next 16 years.
0: Right. So, so from a stock and bond portfolio, yeah, it's, it's status quo from our point of view, mm-hmm. but you know, there are some things that this brings up in terms of cash management and how people think about their bank accounts that I think are important to, uh, to point out. And, and this is true regardless of SVB. Um, you know, the current limit on FDIC insurance is $250,000 per account holder and beneficiary per bank. And regardless of the economic climate, it's always prudent because never say, well, it's not a risk that keeps me up at night for the most part. There's plenty to do but you know if you if this is the kind of thing you worry about then make sure that your bank deposits are all under the insurance limit and we'll have uh, so we posted a blog article that is kind of outlining the same things we're talking about today and in that article there's a link to a FDIC calculator because it can be a little complex depending on the on how many beneficiaries you have in your account and what type of you know what type of entities are you're dealing with. So, if you have any questions at all, jump on there, put your information in. It's it's on the FDIC website. It's a government website. They're not asking for account numbers or anything. They'll just ask you to put in, you know, your approximate balance and who your how many beneficiaries you have and how things are titled and it will tell you if you're covered. And if you're not covered, move the excess money to a different bank.
1: Yeah. I mean, for, for most household, for most families, for most households, it should not be a major issue to make right. sure that you have FDIC insurance, Right. So, you know, a couple gets a half a million dollars. And I don't know many people that carry more than that in that actual, in one bank. But if you do, all you do is open up another bank account, with another bank, and then all of a sudden you're at a million and that doesn't yeah. even account for the fact that most people put beneficiaries on those accounts. And mm-hmm. they all get two hundred and fifty thousand as well. So it doesn't take much to get into the million dollar range. So there's no reason for you know, as an individual, to not have FDIC insurance coverage on your deposits.
0: Another thing that came to mind when this first started to unroll that that hit my mind was to think about money market, um, money market mutual funds, mm-hmm. not money market savings accounts through banks, those would fall under the same FDIC rules we just talked about. But when you're dealing with um, brokerage account, money market funds, those depend on what the investments inside those funds are. And so just be cognizant of that, that some are built around, some will pay a little higher interest, but have lower rated paper, as they call it, lower rated bonds inside them. Short, they're short term, but um, you can also buy FDIC insured Money markets, and that's our default in our investment portfolios. Yep. And you can buy ones that are treasury based that are perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. 100% safe. But one thing that came to my mind was the knock on effect when Lehman Brothers failed that banks, uh, money market neutral funds that held their investments, then were frozen for a while until those got sorted out. So, you know, it's prudent to make sure that if that's something that that you deal with, you know, you might want to make sure you're in a treasury-backed money market in your investment account or an FDIC-insured money market.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's, you know, I'm not worried about it, but to mm-hmm. your point, Dave, if, it, if it's something that keeps you up at night, definitely yeah. you want to have those conversations with your advisor and yeah. look at the alternative. I mean, you can get a, Pretty short-term treasury note for a pretty decent rate, and you can go right to the source if you really wanted to. So right, there right. are other options out there depending on what you're trying to do. So if it's something that you're worried about, take a look at it. Um, we're not worried about it at this point in time. No, nope. if you know you don't want to lose sleep, and I know that this causes people a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, around well, you know, anytime we talk about the banking system, and I think that's legitimate. So don't let it. You know, don't take all your bank your money out of the bank and bury it in the backyard without at right. least having conversations around what the right. alternatives are and what the safety right. and risk level of those are. Right.
0: Right. And um yeah, and just just remember things things can move fast. So make those decisions before it's a before it's an issue. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Great
1: stuff, Dave. Any uh, last shots of parting (laughs) wisdom
0: for Mm, our listeners today? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. I like it. Great way to close.
1: (laughs) All Uh, right. If you have questions, please shoot us an email at info at srbadvisors.com. Would be happy to have any of those conversations with you. And as always, Dave, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks, Nick. Talk to you later. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.